Jimmy Murphy, Pierre McGuire here for another edition of the eye test, our on-campus version as we do every Friday here on the Sick Podcast Network. Turn up your volume because you're about to listen to the Sick Podcast. The eye test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy. The Stanley Cup winning Colorado Avalanche and after 22 years, the sickest NHL podcast. It's gonna be sick. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Great week in hockey, and we're ready to talk some college hockey in a bit, Pierre, with our feature guest for our on campus Friday, Mike Carter, the head coach of Colgate University. And of course, you're very familiar with him, with your son playing for the Raiders, and uh, looking forward to that conversation, Pierre. So my Mike's been an amazing hockey story throughout his whole career. Kid from Manitoba that goes to Colgate University, becomes the all-time leading scorer at Colgate, eventually goes back after playing 13 years of professional hockey all over the world. He's a fascinating story. He's a great person. I think he's a perfect guy to actually coach at a place like Colgate, and I can't wait to hear his story and what he's all about. Me too. I'm looking forward to that as well. But before we get to that, let's talk some NHL. And, and, <laughs> and let's look back on last night first, Pierre, and then we'll get into another topic we want to uh, approach. But what stood out to you from uh, the numerous games last night? A lot of great action across the league. What were you uh, eyeing the most? Uh, Steven Stamkos and the Edmonton Oilers versus the Tampa Bay Lightning and everybody expecting Edmonton to keep their winning streak going, especially on home ice against the Tampa team that's kind of helter-skelter and doesn't have Victor Hedman. And I was blown away by the play of uh, Andre Vasilevsky. Obviously, he was phenomenal in that game. But you think about Steven Stamkos, and Jimmy and I were talking before we came on the air. I didn't know this, but I was watching the game. He had four goals in the game. His last goal was an empty netter. It's the first time in his NHL career he ever scored four goals in a game. And you would think a guy like Steven would have done mm. that before. He had never done it before. But hats off to uh, to Tampa and to John Cooper. Like I said, they've been a bit helter-skelter. But uh, now they go into the last game of this road trip, uh, even on the road trip. And they go into Calgary. And if they can be three and two, Coming out of a five-game road trip, that's great for them. For sure. And we'll get back to Tampa in a second, Pierre. I want to leap a little east there. Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, mm. right, I mean, and, and kudos to them. Great job, not giving up, hanging in there. Surprising, too, that they, I mean, at least to me, uh, they leave Samsonov in down 5 nothing, and yet they come back and they force an overtime and get a point. They don't win, but they get a point. And by the way, just before we, we elaborate on the Leafs side there, a lot of credit to Columbus, too, okay, because this is a team going through a lot this season. Really have had some bad breaks injury-wise, and it's just been a kind of a nightmare season so far for them. And they give up a 5 nothing lead, but they still hold on to win. It's a lot of grit that shows me on the Columbus side, Pierre. A hundred percent, and take it one step further. Patrick Lyon, fractured his collarbone last night, and who knows? Okay. He's out four to six weeks now. So when you think about it, they've been battling a lot of elements, Jimmy, so you're spot on. But but to me, the biggest thing in that game, the wherewithal of the Toronto Maple Leafs being down 5 nothing, and nobody in Toronto being very happy, obviously, in their mm -hmm. building. And for them to find a way to battle back, if I'm Sheldon Keith, I'm happy about the pushback. I'm happy about the way the guys reeled the game in. I'm not happy with the way they started the game. They were no good to start the game. They would probably all tell you that, Jimmy. But in order for them to really be a good team in this league, they got to find a way to start games on time, and they've got to find a way not to outscore their problems, which is great now. I don't think you can do that in the playoffs, and they've got to find a way to find more structure in their game. I'm with you, Pierre. And, you know, we were kind of looking at their schedule and we were doing our prep for the show here today and just – a lot of games they're playing, and I don't have the exact number right in front of me, but the, the bottom line is they're going extra time too much. And they're finding themselves not in a 5 nothing hole, but in a hole a lot and having to come back in games. I mean, I remember a game recently they played against the uh, the Bruins, and, yeah, they, they forced overtime in that with a last-second goal by Austin Matthews, but they lose in overtime. You you can't live that way. You just – you can't. It's going to catch up to you both physically and mentally – and, you know, those points that you're potentially giving up uh, are going to add up. And, you know, let's get into that now. And we'll loop Tampa back into this with what is a really crazy tight playoff race. I know we're only midway through December, but, you know, like you said to me off the air, Pierre, a lot of teams now at the 30-game mark, 
10 more games, 12 more games. We're at the halfway point, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, it's crazy to think that. It's flying. But you look right now at the wild card situation and the teams right below them. Let's look, just say we'll, we'll look at the first two wild card teams. you got the Detroit Red Wings and the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, Detroit's got 34 points, 29 games. Carolina, 29 games, 33 points. And then right below them, and the only reason they're below them is because Carolina hasn't played as many games is a Tampa Bay Lightning at 31 games and 33 points. Caps below them, 26 and 32 points. And then the Devils, 27 games and 31 points. Pierre, when you look around right now, you're looking up and down that Eastern Conference ladder there. Uh, it, it could flip-flop by the time we have a show on, on Monday. That's how crazy it is right now. And, and if I'm looking at teams, if I'm just looking into my crystal ball right now, at what teams could possibly fall out of there permanently. I'm looking at the New York Islanders and the Philadelphia Flyers, despite, and we're not taking any of the credit we've given them, that is the Flyers, despite the season they're having, they're still in a rebuild mode, and that it could eventually, you know, sooner or later, uh, it's going to strike midnight, I think, for the Flyers. I just, I just tend to believe that. Well, the one thing I'll say is John Tortorella is pushing the right buttons. Um, after 40 minutes of their game with Washington last night, I didn't think they had any chance of winning that game, yeah. but he found a way to get them over the hump. And, and obviously we talked about Owen Tippett the other day. We talked about Travis Konechny the other day. Those are critically important players for the Philadelphia Flyers, Sean Couturier as well, and the development of some of their defensemen, especially Travis Sanheim and Cam York. But yeah, it could fall off the rails there, but that's not a knock on the Flyers. I think everybody kind of knows where they are right. in their rebuild. John Tortorella deserves a huge amount of credit, but they could fall off. I think the Islanders could fall off. Uh, it depends on how healthy they stay, especially in goal. Um, so I, I expect Tampa will eventually be a playoff team, Jimmy. I really do. Yep. I, my question is, will Detroit, especially without Dylan Larkin, will they be able to hang in there? And, and we're going to find out about Detroit here uh, pretty soon. Uh, in terms of being a real playoff team, or are they just going to be one of those teams that's still getting better? Uh, but I, I would say that you're spot on. You know, the Islanders and Philadelphia are two teams that, that could bounce out. And I expect Carolina is going to get better, Jimmy. I, I, they've been underwhelming so far this year. The fact they won the last two games on their road trip in Ottawa uh, and in Detroit, uh, I think that helps them a lot going back home. But they were underwhelming, very underwhelming on this last road trip. You notice in those wins, though, Pierre, and I think one of the things that was driving Rod Brindamore nuts and you know, we started in that amazing, I'll never forget it. <laughs> I mean, it was probably the best intermission uh, clip you'll see, you know, and he's, what, they were down like two, three, nothing already. And uh, he says, yeah, well, you know, pretty soon we're going to be down 50 to nothing, whatever. So it is what it is. <laughs> they buckled down and, and he must've got to them because they, they are playing suffocating hockey right now. And that was really why they won that game in Detroit last night. That and an unfortunate miscue by Billy Husu. But still, Carolina has buckled down. And, you know, they're going to need to do that, Pierre, because as you and I have discussed off air, goaltending is a major issue there. And, you know, if the goaltending is not going to be where it needs to be, then the team defense, and I'm not just talking to the defensemen, I'm talking about those forwards getting back and back checking and being there for their defensemen. As a unit, they're going to need to be really tight and, and just constructed. And that, that to me is how they win unless they make some big trade uh, in the near future here. And then let's not forget the Devils, Pierre. Uh, no, good point. I, I want to say, too, and speaking of, you know, teams that maybe you think high-flying, you think offense, they played I, – I, and i got to give them – that was one of the best games I've watched all season was that game. Against, game? Yeah. 2-1 yeah, yeah. uh, overtime win for the Devils over the Bruins. It just had that playoff feel to it. Great goaltend at each end. Uh, teams – taking chances back and forth, momentum changes. Um, but they also seem to be paying a little more attention to detail. And voila, they're starting to win more, Pierre. They are. Um, I think the biggest thing they have, though, is obviously Jesper Brat and, and, and Hughes have a tremendous relationship on and off the ice. Mm -hmm. And you can see it when they play. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how their development uh, happens defensively. I'm not talking about with the forwards. I'm talking about with their defense. Um, but that's down the road. But I, I would expect the Devils are a playoff team in the Eastern. I'd be shocked if they didn't make the playoffs. 
And so that's why these next 10 to 12 games for some of these teams, it's so important. And it's what you were talking about before, I think appropriately, Jimmy. But for the New Jersey Devils, are high-flying, yes. And I think Lindy Ruff would like to see them be a little bit more difficult to play against defensively. But I thought against the Bruins, that was a, that was a tremendous playoff-style game. It's really out. important for teams to develop. Yeah, they had that balance, you know what I mean? Like yeah. that, and that's how you win in the playoffs. Is you find that it's fine. Nobody doesn't want you to be offensive or utilize your skill, but you you got to be responsible on the other end. Uh, Pierre, we're talking about goaltending. That's still a question mark to me in New Jersey as well. And I'm starting to hear, and I know you've heard it at times too, little link to Gibson in Anaheim. And you got to remember, as we both pointed out. Tom, uh, Tommy Fitzgerald knows him from Pittsburgh, seeing him around, play around there. You know, when, when Fitzy was with the Penguins then. And Gibson is a name that I'm starting to hear come to the surface in terms of trade chatter right now. Maybe that's a guy, and this is just pure speculation on my part, doesn't you know, but maybe that's a guy that the Devils could look at if the goaltending isn't where they need it to be halfway through the season. Um, that's one name. I don't know if Pat Verbeek's in a rush to want to move him. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll see. I mean, they've got some nice pieces starting to be accumulated out in Anaheim too. Um, I think there'll be other names that will eventually be out there. You know, you've got to ask if you're Kenny Hall and, and the Edmonton Oilers, you got to ask yourself, are we really good enough in goal uh, with Stuart Skinner? Are we really, are we really good enough in goal? And, and based on what I saw last night, and I've seen most of the year, I'd say no. And that's yeah. not a knock on Stewart. It's just it's the reality. I don't think he's a starting goalie in the NHL. So how aggressive will the Edmonton Oilers be trying to get a goalie? Because let's let's face it, for them, especially with the young talent that they have, everybody's expecting them, especially in Canada, they're a legitimate Stanley Cup contender, according to the Canadian media. But is that really goaltending that's going to be good enough to win you the Stanley Cup? I don't think so, Jimmy. I don't think so either. So, you know, you talk about New Jersey and East. I'm, I'm going to talk about where they are in, in Edmonton in the West. Yeah. And Pierre, I want to ask you too, you know, you, you've been in management, you've been a coach, worked in the NHL long enough uh, to see how these 34 things. 34 years. Yeah, exactly. So you, what I want to get, and it, you know, you hear so many different answers on this. Is it better to go out and get that done now ahead of the trade deadline or wait until the weeks leading into the deadline and see where the prices shake, you know, shake out. I'm of the belief, get ahead of it. Don't, don't let other people dictate the price. You dictate the price. So I want to get your take on that. Uh, you must have been learning at the altar of uh, Craig Patrick in Pittsburgh because he <laughs> always used to try to establish this market. He didn't want people to establish the market for him. He wanted to establish a market. I think when you identify an organizational strength or weakness, um, you've got to address it. So let's just say for the sake of argument, you got 14 guys on your defense and you know that only six can play. So you want to keep, you know, what, seven, 10, 12, whatever you think, but you don't mm -hmm. have to keep 14. So you have a chip in the game, the extra defenseman. And let's say you have a weakness at forward, or let's say you have a weakness with toughness, or let's say you have a weakness on the power play and you identify a specialist that you need. You establish the marketplace and go out and get the player that you think you need. The best managers I find over time, and I do a lot of case studies on this, they are experts on their team, Jimmy, and they understand here's our strength, here's our weakness, and they address them. And they don't let it fester. They address their weakness immediately. And if you don't do that, um, you're not going to be very successful as a manager. You're not going to be very successful as a team. So follow up on that. How do you can you do that as much as you used to without a cap? Can you do that now with the cap? How much is a cap? Yeah, no, I think you can. I think you can. I think it can because you can you can move money. You know, that's one of the things. Now, you may have to pay a premium for somebody to take your money on. But that's part of the business world that, that we live in right now in, in the cap world. Um I still know that there's a trade deadline in the cap world, and I know the caps, the money's a little smaller when we get to the trade deadline. But nonetheless, there are a plethora of trades made every year at the trade deadline, even though we have a cap. So yeah. I don't know how the cap would be really restricted. Here's where teams get into trouble, though. They overspend on young players that haven't mm -hmm. established themselves. They're paying for future earnings, and they're hoping it's going to work out. You can write a book on all the contracts have been given out where teams are forced into it because the fans put pressure on the team or the media puts pressure mm -hmm. on the team. They say, 
oh, you got to sign this guy to an eight-year deal because that's the one thing you have. You can keep him internally. And then you find out three years into the eight-year deal, we overrated the player. He's yeah. not that good. And you're yeah. stuck. Yeah. You're stuck. So being it, it's the easiest thing. It's the Scotty Bowman, Sam Pollock, Frank Selke Sr. theory. If you're a manager, nobody can know more about your team than you. So mm -hmm. you better know your team. And if you make a mistake, you better move it quick. You yeah. better move it quick. Yeah, and I want to say, Pierre, too, you, you mentioned Craig Patrick, and I'll just keep with that former Penguins GM theme there, too. Another guy that always jumps ahead of the gun, ironically, was a Penguins GM, is Jim Rutherford, too. 100%. He's been great at that throughout his career, right? So 100%. But again, Jimmy was never afraid to make deals. And neither Craig, by the way. Craig was never yeah. afraid to make I mean – this is for the younger viewers and listeners out there. I remember clear as day when Pittsburgh made a trade and Pittsburgh traded away Mark Reckie and Paul Coffey. Okay. Mark mm -hmm. Reckie and Paul Coffey, two Hall of Fame players, two Hall of Fame players. And they got in return Rick Tockett, Shell Samuelson, and Kenny Reagan. And everybody in hockey said, What is Pittsburgh doing? That's yeah. craziness. We're rival to I'll tell you what Pittsburgh was doing. The general manager was so smart. He said, we're not tough enough to play against the big teams. We won the cup last year. We need to get bigger and tougher and meaner and nastier. So he brings in Rick Tockett. He brings in Shell Samuelson. He traded away Frank Peter Angelo and, and made sure we had more depth to support Tommy Barrasso. And he brought in Kenny Reggett uh, to go along with Wendell Young. But that's what he does. So And, and eventually that 92 team wins the cup. It's yeah. brilliant managing, but it's great team building, Jimmy. And that's the key. It's about team building. It's identifying your strengths, your weaknesses, and being an expert of your team. And that's what Craig Patrick always was, always an expert on his own team. I love it, Pierre. Just getting a text here, uh, too, seeing that um, a little off top topic, but I think it's newsworthy because we are going to start to discuss the juniors. We're going to do our preview uh, next week. Yes. Uh, Jim Montgomery saying they are very much considering sending Matt Poitra to the World Juniors now. You Wait were on that weeks ago. There <laughs> you go. And he's not ruling it out at all. And yeah. I actually, the text I got was from somebody with Hockey Canada, and they told me, yeah, it's it's real. This this could happen. So very interesting news there for the Boston Bruins. And I am with you. I think it would be a great move for him right now. They're already not playing him tonight as part of the load management they're doing. Let him go over there. Let him get his confidence. Let him play at a great level of hockey there and a, a good intensity and excitement. Uh, and I think I, I'm with you. I think it would be wonderful for him. And it's wonderful for any, you know, kind of player in his situation right now in the NHL to go over there and get that experience. I've been around the world junior since 1989. It doesn't stifle players. It only helps them. And if you watch Matt Poitra play right now, He's not nearly comfortable enough playing in an NHL environment. He's not strong enough on the puck. He's not strong enough on the back check. He used to dominate the puck below the hash marks. He's not doing that anymore. And you can see defensively, he's getting pushed around. He's getting roughed up. So yep. now you let him go over there. He's playing on an elite Canadian team. They're, they're not a little bit good, Jimmy. They're really good. He's playing on an elite Canadian team. He's going to play big minutes. If he goes again, we're stressing this hypothetical. If he goes, yeah. I, I remember calling you. Uh, it was, a, I think it was a yep. Saturday afternoon. I said, Jimmy, go. Here, here's what has to happen. Yeah, this kid needs to go to the world junior. Yeah, and and I hope he does. And it would be great for him, and it'll be really good for the Bruins. It really would be for sure. Well, let's switch gears from junior hockey, but still, some you know, college players go to the world juniors now too and have some great success. But let's switch gears to college hockey for our on campus segment this friday we welcome on from colgate university their head coach mike carter joining us here on the eye test on the sick podcast network hey coach how you doing hey jimmy good hey pierre good to see you guys i, I love this podcast it gets me through a lot of long drives through uh, <laughs> through through north america for sure thank you yeah we like that we, that's what we're here for uh, uh, also so before we start thank you so much for doing the on-campus part i it's so great to keep growing college hockey and probably a lot of people or maybe a lot of people that listen to you don't don't know that much about college hockey and what a great development route it is for kids and segueing right into the world juniors like you were just talking about. So um, thank you. Thank you for that as well. I'd agree, Pierre. Well, first of all, I'm not surprised coach would say that because he's a class act, number one. But number two, coach. 
tell us about your journey from Manitoba to Hamilton, New York. Now, I'm not talking about as a coach. I'm talking about as a player. And just, I don't want to embarrass you, but I want the listeners at home and then the viewers to understand. You're the all-time leading scorer at Colgate University for four years, and you played 13 years of professional hockey all over the world. So you know what you're talking about. Tell us about your journey from Manitoba to Hamilton. Well, I mean, I mean, it's pretty pretty simple. You're just you're a you're a good enough player. Uh, you, you play junior, you get a break. You you find some coaches that believe in you and and you want to play for them, and you develop, and then you get good enough, and you can play in college. And you know, Coach Don Vaughn, who was at Colgate for 30 years, I was part of his first recruiting class, and he saw something he liked in me, brought me in, and I've been a Colgate guy ever since. Um, the, the the journey, the 13 years of, of pro, um, boy, I, I could I could get into that. I could talk about that for a while, but I'll tell you <laughs> one thing it did for me, though. It, it, it taught me how to be well, what I hope will be a really good coach, a really good head coach, and just seeing how people in other parts of the world are doing things. You know, we talk about why is Sweden so great when they have a population of Massachusetts, essentially, you know, why is Finland so great? Population's even less. So um, I, I've been lucky enough in, in, in those 13 years, which is a Colgate number, coincidentally, um, to, to just to be around the world and see how people do things and try to implement it in our development pattern, de development um, thoughts. Jimmy, one of the things that Coach did this summer that really impressed me was after he got the job, he traveled around and he visited almost every single one. In fact, I think he visited every one of his players from as far away as Victoria, B.C. and as far east as Massachusetts. And I, I wanted to ask the coach, what did you take out of those meetings that really have helped you get off to the start that you guys have had? Yeah, well, our start isn't as good as we'd hope, but uh, thanks for saying that, Pierre. I think what What's really interesting in the college game, and it's something that you don't get to do in the program or even the junior game as much, I don't think, is that you get to spend time with not just the kids, the student athlete or potential student athlete, the PSA, but you get to know their families. And because I came in after, you know, four years, I didn't know any, I knew three of our players I'd recruited, the current players in the roster. So I was behind the eight ball a little bit, so I thought it was a way to catch up, a good way to be part of sort of the recruiting process that I missed. So I was able to connect with kids. You know, the home visits were great to meet their parents, for them to understand that I truly care, which I do. That can sometimes take months or years, and I, you know, we just didn't have that time coming in as a head coach, inheriting a, a great group. So I think if anything, it was a shortcut to understanding each other yeah for sure i just want to go back to you know to your travels and and that and that ties into what i'm going to ask too you mentioned what it does for you as a coach and all the different coaching philosophies you can use but this is more about what you're talking about now how much did your travel just help you as a human being to grow as a human being and understand different cultures oh yeah sure no i mean i think i think when you go to you know university especially one like Cole, you become if you weren't before it certainly opens doors to be intellectually curious. And um, I was just always in love with the de development of, of athletes. I think I like the off season more than the on season, my friends would joke, because the, the potential to get a little bit better or to yeah. find edge. And, you know, USA Hockey's done an amazing job of borrowing from the Finns, the Swedes, the Czechs. And I felt like in the early 2000s, I was there watching. When I played in, in the Swedish league or the Finnish league, I, I remember just being excited for our practice to end so youth practices could start so I could stick stick around the, the rink and you know I'd have I'd have a sandwich in the rink and just stay and watch practice and learn from them. So um I feel like I was watching, you know, the small games, the small competitions. I was watching what is now a great model for USA hockey, the, the development model. I was watching it before before it became practice in this country. And you know, it's, it's done a great job for hockey in this country. And uh, it's all because of what their Scandinavians were doing or the Eastern Europeans. Awesome. Pierre? So, Jimmy, coach has been a player in the Colgate-Cornell weekend. Now he's he's been an assistant coach, <laughs> and now he's been a head coach. Take us through a Saturday night at Lina Rink if you're the visitor. Yeah. It's fun. I mean, that's another just great thing about college hockey. The Europeans call it the Derby games, but um, we just call it a straight up, 
hateful rivalry. It's it's really great, and they're all over and they're all over in college hockey. If it's Northern Michigan and Michigan Tech, or BU, BC, or you know Harvard and anybody really probably, but it's just it's super fun. Um, the coaches we respect each other. We know what's on the line, but the players just love to be a part of it. We you know we get bombarded with toothpaste at, at, at the intro. Um, which is interesting, uh, super fun. Um, and then the game itself is just great. It's electric. The, the things that our fans did Friday night were, were just great. Our, our kids were great. And then the things that they do on Saturday night, it's, it's really great. And for each team to win in the other building, I think that's kind of fun for team development as well, too. So um, it's really great. Their locker room setup, I, I feel like we're right beside the band so i go in in between periods and of course as soon as i go in the band is firing up every time um it's just it's a lot of fun yeah well i think it's, it's I all think by design is, over there for sure but it's, it's great speaking of here's a here's a little good memory your most recent one from that rivalry here i'm on oh. this one comes through now we're shot to account they score shane was down he dove out to try and cover the puck with the rebound nowhere near him and Reed Irwin drills at home. Schneider, would have been <laughs> icing, but Schneider was the first one to lead the pack up ice. Now in front, empty net goal! Ryan McGuire is second goal of the weekend and that will put the icing on this cake. So I, Pierre's texted me during that whole weekend just you know, narrating the the excitement around him at that. So I got I got to check one of these games out next year for sure, guys. Yeah, it's a it's a fun week, and it's one of those college rivalry games that are just super fun. So um, yeah, I look forward to it as well. I got to tell you, Jimmy, I've been in a lot of rinks around the world. Coach knows that, and most of the people watching <laughs> and listening know that. A Saturday night or a Friday night at Liner Arena is is a must see for a hockey fan. It really awesome. is, and. I think we're starting to get that way in the class of 65 at Colgate too. Beautiful <laughs> arena at Colgate. And, and it reminds me so much when BU coach talked about it, when BU and BC play or when mm. Dakota plays against Wisconsin or Dakota sure. plays against Minnesota. I mean, you know, it's just, it's an amazing thing. You go to all these college rinks and you start to realize this is special. This is really cool. And, and line a rink and whenever Colgate's there or Harvard's there, it takes on a life of its own. It really does. It's, it's awesome. really great. And, and then for yeah. the alums to be watching too, you know, we all have huge networks of alums. It's that's the thing with college hockey. You're you're not just a student uh, for four years. It, it follows you for the rest of your life. So I'm sure there are a lot of Col Colgate and Cornell alums in bars and uh, <laughs> wagering uh, certain things. And uh, I'm sure that was a lot of fun for everybody. Coach, what are you focused on right now during the holiday season? I know when I was a college coach, it was all about recruiting at this time, and you're still the same. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's funny. It's funny, Pierre. Yeah, we're we're on the road recruiting. It's the NHL has their free agency day. What is it? July first? Is that usually when it is? Yeah. Yes. Well, you know what? You know what? July first is for us. It's every day. It seems like so. <laughs> we're uh, we're recruiting. We don't obviously we don't draft, so we, we don't do that. So. We're always looking for free agents, always on the road, always networking, always connecting. So, um, yeah, we're, we're doing the prep school loop now. Um, you know, and it's just the assistant coaches. It's a staff of four. We, we were just able to add a, a new one for uh, through NCAA regulations. But um, we're, it's just us. You know, it's just us out on the road, crushing it. We're in four different directions, trying to cover as much territory as we can. You, you connect with the kids that you have committed you connect with the kids you're trying to commit, you, you see alums, you, you do everything you can to represent the organization. Um, yeah. And, and at the same time, you're, you're thinking about, Oh, I, I like the way Montreal did their, uh, <laughs> had their neutral zone four check last night. Let's think about that. Or, you know, you just start scribbling lines down or, you know, what you want your PP to look like. So um, yeah, I've been, I've been watching Sebastian Ajo a lot lately, just trying to see, cause we have a kid that's kind of like him and I, I like what he does, so can we do that? So it's nonstop, Pierre. But yeah, this is the time of year where we're doing the prep prep school circuit right now. Nice, Pierre. I'll let you take it. No, well, Coach, I was also going to ask you what's different from when you were such an elite player in college hockey to where the college game is now. You were playing in the 1990s, and now here we are. No, but it, no, you had an unbelievably right. distinguished career. How's college hockey changed, right. or has it? 
Yeah, no, I, in, in a lot of ways it has, and in a lot of ways it hasn't. Like from the experience of the student athlete, I think it's exactly the same, with the exception of some kids are looking down at their phones a lot more now. But, you know, like I know what's going on. I know when exams get hard. I know when school gets, you know, a little easier. I know what's going on socially. It, it, that's exactly the same. On the hockey front, well, one, the sticks are better. <laughs> so <laughs> that helps. And that really does help. I mean, you watch guys zip the puck around right now. And a lot of it is because you can just, you can flex that stick. It, it makes me sound really old saying that. And I, I get that, but that is a big difference. Um, mm. And the kids are, they're just better. We've we've really taken our, again, I've said it, I think there's a third time I use the word development, but we've taken that model and it's it's gone like through the roof on how we use it and how we can prepare kids for pro hockey. Our schedule of playing 40 games, being in the gym, you're just talking about getting kids bigger and stronger. Um, you know, that's what our kids need so that when they turn pro at 22, 23, 24, they're ready for it. Um, we feel like we can spend Monday to Thursday or Sunday in our case. We like to practice on Sundays. Sunday to Thursday, really, really coaching these kids, spending time doing video. Like, are other coaches doing that? Sure, college coaches are, but in, in junior or in pro, you, you may not have time. You have a game the next yeah. day and the game the next day. Um, but we do that. You know, every, I think every college coach does. You, you spend time individually with a player. You really get to know them. And then you practice with intention. You know, it's not just a flow game skate because you got to get ready for tonight's game. We have time to do those things that matter. Not to mention, get them in the gym at least twice and do some footwork at least once as well. So um, I, I love where we are. I love working with this group. But I, I, I'm really excited about college hockey in general. If you if you can't tell from my voice and how I'm almost jumping <laughs> through the camera here. <laughs> Yeah. I want to say too, Coach, one of the things uh, we had Jay Pandolfo on earlier in the season, uh, and one of the things I, I love that he said was uh, him and his staff do their best to to let the players be where their feet or their skates, so to speak, are and, yeah. and live in the moment. And, you know, with so much going, you mentioned, you know, they're always on their phone, so they're, mm -hmm. they're prone to see what people are thinking of their game or what teams could be interested in them. You know, there's just so much going on that can distract them. How have you tried to help these kids just live in a moment and furthermore, enjoy the moment? Yeah, that's that's a good question, Jimmy. And that's a big part of my job. But the phones, you we always talk about the phones in a negative way. Sometimes it's good too. like our kids, as soon as they get on the bus, you know, which I'm sure most teams or all teams do, mm -hmm. they get their clips sent to them. Right. So they can watch their clips. They can watch highlights of the Ranger game that night. Yeah. Uh, they can just watch a game on the bus. Like, what's better than that? So you're just absorbing all this hockey through osmosis. And it's really great. Um, but, yeah, there's some there's some good things for sure. We, uh, we're just – we're getting the most hockey out of our guys. You know, we're using every angle we can, everything we can. And I think the guys are buying in. Like, you're right. We, we got to get them to live in the moment. And there are other things. They have other distractions. Um, and, and that kind of bears out, Jimmy. That's an interesting thing. I've been scratching my head. Our, our home record is not great. And our road record is the actually pretty much the reverse. And I think part of it, Jimmy, to your point, is that they don't have distractions on the road as much. You know, on Friday, sometimes a kid, some kids will have a Friday morning class that we expect them to go to, of course. But on the road... We're in the hotel. You know, we got a pregame skate. We got a nice lunch. We got a video meeting. They're not thinking about other things. So, um, you know, we talk a lot as a staff on how do we get our guys, like you said, to live in the moment, get them in a flow state, to worry about their current shift, all those little cliches. And I think as a head coach, that's almost 90 percent of my job is to get guys to live in the moment. Jimmy and coach, everybody wants to go out and get the very best player you can get to help your team be successful but you're not always going to get the very best player. What are the characteristics that Mike Carter and the Colgate coaching staff are looking for in players? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good question, Pierre. Um, you know, it I guess it depends on the position, obviously, but one, Colgate's a, a high achiever school and high achievers are high achievers, right? So if you're a high achiever in the classroom, you're, you'll be a high achiever on the ice. You're, you're going to have work ethic. That's, second to none most kids are the ones that we recruit they're probably the hardest worker and the best player on their team right so so that's that's the first thing two can they 
I, I would say carry a conversation, but it's more than that. Are they, I, I've said it before, intellectually curious? Will they be good alums? That's that's an important one mm. too. Um, and, and I think, you know, what we're selling here, what we're about, we're, we recognize that you play hockey, you don't work hockey. So are they fun to be around? You know, like you're going to spend four years with them and then hopefully I'll spend another 40 years with them as alums coming back to the golf tournament mm -hmm. and sharing a couple of drinks here or there. So um, are they fun? Are they the kind of people you want to be around? Because we're not cutting kids, you know, we're not, it, it's not, it's not how it works. We don't trade kids. So for good or for bad, you're stuck with them. So it's a lot of character stuff. Plus, you know, can they play the game? Perfect. And I think that's, I mean, here, that's kind of what our, our, our podcast is about too. You got to have the eye test both on the player and the person. You can't, you can't quantify that with analytics or stats. You good, Jimmy? Did, did I lose you? I don't know. You've been going a little in and out. You got me? I think we got him. I think we have coach back. You still there? Coach, can you hear us? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, we good. Yeah, yeah we got you. We yeah. got you. We're good. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. Is, you know, Pierre and I always, yep. Yeah, yeah. So Pierre and I always say uh, that's what the eye test is about, right? I mean, you can't you can't quantify or put analytics next to the person or the player. You got to realize the person, see how they fit into a team, and uh, I think that's great. You, you have to have as much as you need skill guys, Pierre. We say it all the time. You need those grit guys. You need those character guys. The most underrated thing in any player: how coachable is the player? How coachable is the player? Yeah, and you know, obviously, coach is coachable, but his Wi-Fi isn't. That's yeah. not his fault. <laughs> That's well, not it's it. whatever hotel he's in. That's not his fault. <laughs> That's not his fault. Exactly. But that was great, man. He's. I love his enthusiasm, Pierre. Wow. I, I wasn't kidding at the start. That's why I asked you were, the question. You were lying to me. He he went to every single player's home. That's great. And, and he went to go see some of the boys a second time when they were at NHL development camps. Wow. It's, it's uh, he put in a summer of work. I have a ton of respect for him. Um, you know, forget the fact that my son plays for him. I, I just, I like the way he communicates with his players. I like the way he orchestrates practices and I like his recruiting philosophy. I, I think coach Harder's, one of those new type coaches that's coming in that's only going to make college hockey better. And sure. I think that's really important. I, I think college hockey is an amazing thing. I really do. For sure. I think we got him back. Uh, can we bring coach in? Sorry. Sorry about that, guys. I should no I need to pay. I need to pay my internet bills. We just said <laughs> Wi-Fi is not coachable. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It's the one thing. <laughs> Coach, I, I want to ask you, you know, um, we ask a lot of coaches this, and, I, you know, obviously Pierre has talked about it as well. Is, is there one or – I'm sure there's so many, but is there somebody that always, you know, when you look back and uh, you, you look at what shaped you or who shaped you, is there one or two people, whether a coach, whether it's a parent or a player or a teammate, uh, that maybe had an influence on you getting to where you are now? Yeah, that's a good question. It's so many people. Um, it, it's just great. And it's the it's the Colgate community, for one, I fell in love with. The town of Hamilton, New York. There are just so many great people. It feels like home. You know, you every kid needs good parents to, to have any bit of success. That You know, parents that are driving to the rink at 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. Uh, in, in Manitoba. Uh, I had a coach in junior in Weyburn, Saskatchewan in the 90s. That was uh, unbelievable. Uh, you know, one of the first ones that I felt like, wow, this this guy really cares. And, and I remember that. And, you know, I've, I've had coaches in pro that sometimes maybe not as great or they don't care. And you learn just as much from those guys as you do from guys that do care. Um, I, I found that really important. That, that's a good question. Also, like growing up in small town Manitoba, you, you just have you're around people, you're around family and it, it matters. And to have that feeling of being cared for or, or that people are really invested. That's what I want to bring to our guys. I want them to be able to, to trust, you know, I, I don't, I don't necessarily want to be their friends. I think they're amazing, cool kids. I definitely don't want to be that, but 
you know, I want a relationship where there's trust and, uh, and I want them to know that I have their back. So Jimmy, I got to ask the coach, you talked about playing for the Weyburn Red Wings. I've obviously spent some time there at the <laughs> rink in Weyburn. Yeah. Was it coach McMillan that was your coach there? Yeah. Dwighter. Yeah. 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 Okay. Great. So I'm familiar with him. And then one <laughs> other quick one for you, Jimmy, I used to do the loop. It would start in Regina. I go to Wilcox to Notre Dame. I cut down to Weyburn. Then I would go up to North Battle, or I actually go to Yorkton first, and yeah. then I would cut across to to uh, North Battleford. And then I go back to Regina, and then I'd go home. And me, some nights it's a little cold on the prairie, and the coach could tell you. Yeah, I you know what? My, it's a great story. I parked my car outside a rink uh, in Saskatchewan, and yeah. I left the car and I turned it off. And the Zamboni driver goes to me halfway through the game. Um, what are you doing tonight? And I said, driving back to Regina. He goes, no, you're not. I go, what do you mean? He goes, your car's going to be frozen. Nobody's going to steal your car. And we're not going to jump you. So go start it and leave it on. And I did. That's I funny. Uh, That's funny. Va Coach Vaughn tells a similar story when he was out recruiting me that back in whatever that was 92 or 93 he said he he uh stayed at a hotel he went out every hour started his car and sat in it for 15 minutes and would go in and take a 45 minute nap and come back out otherwise he wasn't going home no it was amazing but what a breeding ground like i learned so much as a coach just watching the team's practice watching the players play he talked about coach mcmillan coach that coach mcmillan's a legend out there and one of the kids he had ended up being a first-round pick of the New Jersey Devils, Donovan Hextall. Mm -hmm. And and I watched Donovan play there, and that guy was a heck of a player, um, you know, and, and he eventually was a first-round pick in the NHL. Right. Well, Pierre, I like to say it's a, it's a good place to be from. <laughs> Perfect. Hey, from when I started going to Saskatchewan and Manitoba, I've been up to Flint Flon. I know you, you've probably been up there too, but from when I first started to where it is now, it's a whole lot better now, I'm going to no, say. No, it's, it's I really have so great. much respect. Teddy Hampson is a real good friend of mine, the late Patty Janelle. Yo, so many great people that I met along the prairie that uh, I have so much respect for, and I'll never forget those days. I'm, I'm appreciative for every single day I spent out there. As as am I, as am I. Uh, I feel like I hit the uh, the natal lottery being born up there, and um, you know, being able to grow up over there for sure. Yeah. Pierre, this is why I keep saying you got to write a book, buddy. You got to get a book. Just a, Pierre's travels. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, there are a few places. I'm kind of like coach over in Europe uh, early on. Back when I was playing over there, the Iron Curtain was up, and uh, yeah, it was it was a little different. It was, it was just a tad different. I had yeah. a teammate that was a defector. I will not say his name because I don't want him to get in trouble. And uh, I remember him telling me stories on the bus rides after games. I'd be like, really? You grew up that way? Go, oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I'm not going there. It was tough. It was tough to hear. Amazing. Well, I'll tell you what. Everybody in the prairies will have their TVs on starting December 26th. That's one of our best, uh, oh, yeah. one of our best traditions. Watching Team Canada Virginia. kick it off. Yeah, Virginia. we were just we were just talking before you get on uh, got on, uh, coaches. I cover the Bruins. I'm based in Boston, and uh, you know they're talking now. Matt Matthew Poitier might go there, but you know I'm glad you brought that up. What what's that like for having uh, as a college coach when you have some of your players well, go over there, or just you know what do you think of it? as a college coach as opposed to what maybe a junior coach uh, views of the world juniors? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. And you might get me in trouble, but at the risk of getting my Canadian passport revoked, I do, <laughs> I do very quietly and super secretly. I hope nobody's watching this, but root for the American team a little bit because they're all college players. And, you know, yeah. we, again, we really believe in our model and, and, and what it's doing. So I, I, the odd Canadian will be a college player as well. And if that's the case, I, I cheer for them. But um, I, I do like to see how well the American model is working and how all these college kids do right. really, really well over there. It's just it's an amazing experience for them. And, you know, as a, as a Canadian, uh, we just love this tournament. It's just the best. And I know Pierre can talk about it at length in a really smart educated way and tell some great stories but you know I, I do I do reminisce with you Pierre when you're when you're telling the stories on this podcast or anywhere you are and I remember exactly where I was when that happened and you know it just it brings back really great memories yeah. for, for Canadians 
Hey, I'll tell you guys one U.S. college player who played for Canada that is unbelievably good still to this day, Kale McCarr. Mm. <laughs> He's okay. Pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty good. Yeah. yeah. He's okay. Yeah, it's great. Pierre, did you say you started covering it in 89? I started going to it and watching it in 89, yeah. Where was the 89? Alaska. Hmm. Wow. Nice. When was the uh, when was the blackout one, the Theo Fleury brawl? What year was that? It was after, or just before that, actually. Just it was just before. before that. That was a punch out in Pia Stani. Yeah. And um, <laughs> Pat Burns was one of the late Pat Burns was one of the coaches for Canada. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Pierre Turgeon just got into the Hockey Hall of Fame. He was on that team, and he was the only Canadian that was sitting on the bench. Oh, really? Um, and so a lot of the guys took that personally. They weren't happy with that. Interesting. But if you go back to the 89 World Junior, you look at the checks. Yarmer Yager played on a line with Robert Reichel and Bobby Holik. And the Russians had a line of Pavel Bure, Sergei Fedorov, and Alexander Mogilny. Wow. A little bit of speed there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Pierre, hey, Pierre, I'll tell you who wasn't sitting next to Pierre Turgeon on the bench, and that was Theo Fleury. He was... He was. I remember his interview after saying he was just going around punching people. <laughs> yeah, he, he, and he was too. He was in. He was in heaven. Yeah, he was. In heaven. <laughs> Amazing, well, coach. This has been phenomenal. I know you're busy doing all the prep school stuff now, Jimmy. Just to put it in perspective, when I talked to coach to confirm this, he was actually scouting up in Toronto on on Saturday afternoon at St Andrews, and now I don't even know where he is. But <laughs> totally being transparent, Jimmy. I was on the phone texting with coach at, I think, 5.15 this morning. Just so <laughs> that's kind of where he's at. Awesome. So just so you know. Yeah. Good for you, man. Get some coffee, coach. Pierre, <laughs> uh, I was just getting home. I thought you were too. Uh, that, ship, that ship sailed a long time ago. But as you can tell, grass doesn't grow on a busy street. <laughs> All right. Pierre, I, you know what? I'm getting you one of these for Christmas. That, I've decided. Okay. There you go. That's the Murphy, the Jimmy Murphy gift to Pierre Maguire for sure. There you go. Uh, well, Coach, I, I appreciate this. I, I appreciate yeah. this, guys. This was fun. Fun, fun fantastic. time. We'll get you on again Thank down the road. Yeah, best right. of luck and happy holidays, Coach, and enjoy the rinks. All right. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks, Coach. We'll see you soon. Thank you. That's Colgate coach Mike Harder joining us here on the eye test. Man, the, the, that guy oozes enthusiasm for the game and life, Pierre. And I, I, I he's perfect for the college game. Oh, he's a winner. He's a winner yeah. is what he is. And uh, I've seen it firsthand. Um, just like other new coaches, especially running a bench for the first time, he's learning a lot as he goes along. He's a better coach now than he was 16 games ago when the season started. And, um, you know, that's really good for the players. It's great for the program, and it's awesome for Colgate University. But – I would just tell you his staff is outstanding and, and it's what if you're a parent of a child, you want your child playing in if he loves a game to play in a position or a program yeah. that Coldgate is under Donnie Vaughn before and before him Terry Slater, but now with Mike Carter. Um it's it's phenomenal to see him around the rank. It really is. That's great. And you know, it felt good too when he says uh, he loves that we're doing this segment. We love it too. Uh, it's really I haven't heard one college coach say it isn't good. Yeah, yeah. And, and listen, and I'm those biased. are our most important judges, as far as I'm concerned. So I, I'm biased. I was a college coach for a long time, and I was fortunate to be part of some really good programs, and I worked with some amazing players and and for, and with some great coaches. And I'll always remember my college times, and part of it was right now the recruiting at Christmas. Mm. But I, I spent a lot of time out on the prairie. I spent a lot of time over in Europe. Um, and it makes you better. It makes you better as a professional. And I always will be appreciative of all those opportunities that those universities and colleges provided for me, always. Well, you, you know, and one thing I – Terry, you can, you can elaborate on if you want. But one thing I notice about good coaches, whether it's college, junior, pros, what have you, is no matter how high they get in their profession – they're never, they never put themselves high enough to not learn more from previous coaches and from those that came before them and, and to be coached themselves. And I feel like that's what makes a great coach is that that person is not afraid to still be coached from somebody else, by somebody else. Jimmy, think about the man that you cover almost every day, Jim Montgomery. Yep. 
how much now he was an elite coach at, at Denver winning a national mm-hmm. championship, but think about how much in his life he's learned and continues yep. to learn. And I know some of the people that he goes to for advice and oh, yeah. they're very, very successful people. He had one on the show. <laughs> yeah, he had one on the show. Um, and so, no, I mean, that's how you get better. Yeah. Never, don't be afraid to ask a question because more times than not, people in this business won't be afraid to give you a good answer. They yeah. want to see the game improve as well. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's one of the great things. And, you know, I remember, and I'll make it quick, but sitting with Scotty once, I think we were actually in, in Regina at the airport getting ready oh, wow. to fly out. There you go. And uh, it, was during, it was actually during the World Junior in 1990. Um, and what I remember... Uh, is him talking about the people that helped him along the way. And he started with Frank Selke, and he talked about Sam Pollock, and he talked about all these legendary, Claude Ruel, he talked about all these legendary people that helped him along the way, and he said every day was a learning lesson. And you know what? That's coming from the winningest coach in the history of the sport. He never was afraid not to learn more. He always wanted to learn more. He still lives that way as a 90-year-old. I know it's not coaching, but that's how I try to live in my profession, Pierre. You know, I'm always asking you questions. And uh, when the late Russ Conway is around, I mean, I would talk to that guy every day and pick his brain because you can never gain too much knowledge in whatever you're doing in life. So I think that's a great lesson for all of us to keep there. Pierre, this has been a a ball again. Uh, I love doing these on-campus segments. And uh, as you know, we were saying to our production crew, uh, and I think we mentioned the other day, but just to remind our listeners, uh, we will not be on a week from today. So we're going to be Monday. Uh, this coming Monday and then Wednesday, and we'll do our World Juniors preview then, and then we'll be off the following Friday, and then, of course, that Monday is Christmas, and we'll be back the 27th. We want to remind everybody, we appreciate you doing it. We know you're doing a lot more now. Hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Really helps a lot. And, uh, Pierre, I will talk to you on Monday, my friend. We are, just so the listeners and viewers understand, we are efforting to try to get some very high-profile Thank you for reminding yes, me. Yes, we are. For next are. Monday and Wednesday. Um, yep. Now it's just about fitting it around schedules. Uh, but we're working on that, and we're pretty darn excited about the potential. I don't want to give any names away because I don't want to get anybody in trouble, but we're working on the potential to have some pretty special guys. And if we get them, Jimmy and the crew back in Montreal will be sure to uh, get them out over the weekend via social media. We will. And look, and I want to thank again, you know, earlier in the week as well, when we had uh, general manager Montreal Canadiens, Kent oh, Hughes man. on. And, and for all you uh, Montreal Canadiens fans who have, uh, you know, reacted to that, reached out to us, had so many comments and pray, we really appreciate it. And, it you know, and, and, and I'll tell you too, I know that Kent Hughes does as well. Um, so it, it's great stuff. And, uh, you know, that's what we're here for. We want everybody to be able to connect. And, and feel part of it because we're all part of this hockey world. So uh, we appreciate you taking the time to listen and watch the eye test on the sick podcast network. I'm Jimmy Murphy. He's Pierre McGuire. We'll speak to you on Monday. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the eye test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy on YouTube, Facebook, Google play and Apple podcasts.